Hello everyone and welcome back to Sustain Law Podcast, a show where we discuss everything about the law, life and innovation. I'm your host Rutendo, a mom, wife, sister and above all, lawyer. On today's episode, we've got an amazing guest with us, a mathematician, entrepreneur, agri-tech startup co-founder, mom and wife, Nomaliso Msasiwa. We welcome you to the show, Nomaliso. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. So firstly, um, we'll just get into it, right? What are your thoughts yes. on agriculture and innovation in the African context? Um, they're a bit skewed based on the fact that, like, for the African countries that I've traveled to, we're still looking at um, our food production methods as a, uh, it, it's not in a sustainable manner. It's for people that don't have other means to make money. And at the same time, those that have other means to make money don't actually see where their food comes from because those two groups are conjoined. But um, the use of technology, and maybe even the definition of technology, is an easier conversation for um, a buyer and customer because they think technology means computers, internet, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the innovation around that is the use of those tools. And yet, technology in itself is a new tool that makes whatever you do at the current time a little more efficient. So you'd see that um, there, there are people in Canada or the U.S. that are doing the same type of farming that we do in Africa that have got now much more developed tools like uh, different time, different types of boards, different types of forks, different types, but that do the work much more efficient. And they've structured their type of agriculture to be more regenerative. So the opinion is that we look at technology and have a skewed mindset of what technology is. Therefore, we don't expand ourselves into how do we create our own technologies that help us improve or make our um, agricultural space much more efficient. The best that exists right now is machinery that we don't even make in Africa, right? It's made by your Belarus, Germany, and China, and then they bring it here, but then it's designed for large-scale farmers to whom you're already excluding 60 to 65% of the farming community, right? Mm-hmm. So that element of things versus generally just the recipients or the end users of the farming or the agricultural value chain is that they know how to use technology to access the food. So that would be your e-commerce systems, which is what Freshener Box is and what it started off with. But then it never actually thought about what happens to the other um, beneficiaries of the system, which is your farmers, um, anyone, your middlemen or the people that are in between the system, people that are in the agri-value chain and how they... um, what can I say? And and how they, they, what kind of technology applies to them for them to be able to make efficient uh, production systems. Yeah. I don't know if that was a clear opinion, but yeah, I've been built all with my mind and agriculture in Africa in general. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you for that. And would you say this is how Fresh in a Box was formed? Um, what was your motivation behind uh, creating the startup? Um, question about was a complete mistake, yo. <laughs> a mistake? <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. So um, my husband and I 
we had just come out of like the the political space we were very active in Sadaima Heder's uh, campaign at the time in 2018, right? And we had just come out of the election and she, we had lost the election, right? And I'm a sore loser. So I was like, you know what? Screw the politics. I'm not even going to be participating. Now I need something else to do, right? But I was coming out of out of uni as well. I was pregnant at the time. And I was like, okay, what can I do? So at the backyard of the house we were living at, was quite a big backyard. So I was like, okay, let me try and see if I can make a DIY greenhouse. And whilst I was thinking of a DIY greenhouse, my husband was like, no, here's some money. Put a greenhouse, a proper one, and do what we were supposed to be doing. So we started growing tomatoes together, to which it was a fun experience because to me, I was just trying to have a garden. But then the tomatoes were like really prolific. And we thought, okay, we've got some connections in like the superstore chains, like your spas and pick and pay. So we'd likely you know, uh, send some produce there and um, supply it. And subsequently, within the, in the 90 days of production, right, we had had conversations. We did the whole uh, do your market research and due diligence. And people were telling us that, no, you know, the market is there. Tomatoes is a very good uh, product. Um, we will take it from you when it's ready. Right? And we left very confident about what was going to happen. We didn't factor into the fact that Zimbabwe was about to take its biggest downturn. We moved from uh, the, the rate started shooting up, essentially. You understand the rate, right? So it started shooting up. And the people that we tried to supply would try and undercut us for a price that's silly. Like by the time they would also pay after 90 days, they're paying you $10 worth of like produce that you probably sold at 60 bucks. And it was just crazy. So we thought, oh, okay. My husband actually then took to Twitter and said, hey, guys, listen, I've got tomatoes. If you're in the area of Marlborough, Marlborough and Greencroft Avondale and you want tomatoes, we'll deliver them to your house and you can pay us like $5 for five kgs of tomatoes. And people were like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And quickly after him tweeting that out, we had other smallholder farmers who started saying, hey, guys, I also got lettuce in my backyard, but I don't know what to do with it. Uh, guys, I've got like projects and stuff like that. And suddenly we had like this bunch of uh, vegetables. And we asked people, okay, so do you think you'll be able to deliver to our house in the morning? They said, yeah. Then Kuda jokingly said, yeah, okay, um, we'll put the vegetables in a box and deliver it to people's homes. Whoever said they wanted tomatoes, we'll ask them if they want extra vegetables and we'll sell them at $10. We suddenly had a lot of vegetables. And Kuda is like, okay, so we'll just put in the vegetables together. And um, for the people that had already said they wanted tomatoes, we DM'd them back and said, would you like extra vegetables for $10, in, essentially? And they're like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll put an extra amount for that. And so um, I was like, okay, the first day we just did it. It was just Kuda and Noma selling vegetables, right? So we were being vendors. And then the second day, people are like, oh, yeah, do you guys still have vegetables? Because everyone that we had delivered to had paid us via EcoCash before that and said, will you guys deliver? Will you guys deliver? And to all of the people that had ordered, I think we had our first orders were like 20 of them. We delivered all 20 of them in our little small part. And then all of the people started posting on Facebook and Twitter that, oh, guys, these guys actually said they were going to bring the vegetables and they actually brought them. So the following day now, we had more people asking us, are you guys delivering vegetables? And we were like, okay, this is actually a business, right? And we're like, okay, so what are we going to call the business? It's like, um, you know, we're delivering it in a box or so fresh in a box. That's how it was. So 
that was the mistake. So everything else that has happened subsequently in the business has been learning on this job, not because we wrote down a business plan, not that we did like market research, not that we did like validation and testing. It was all happening at the same time. Wow. And I, I feel like um, you probably then thrived during the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Because I think, I mean, mm-hmm. everyone wanted to eat and we couldn't move. So would you say you sort of benefited during the pandemic? How was business for you? It, 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 the COVID was a blessing in disguise for the time because <laughs> there's a flip side to that coin, right? Um, we grew our business literally 800% over like night. When we started in January, I think it was around about January of 2019, we had had friends that came from China and they were meant to go back to China that we were hosting them. And then they were like, no, we can't go back to China. China said that because of COVID, they've locked down the country. And so they won't be able to like, um, for them to go back to school or even graduate. And we started saying, oh snap, so this thing is likely going to come to Africa. We had these conversations on the table. We're like, nah, it's probably going to be like, flu and then end in China or be like Ebola and end in DRC or something. But we were sure that, you know, it's going to hit. And the moment it hit Italy so badly, we knew that, okay, it's a done deal. It's already in Zimbabwe because the traffic between Zimbabwe and China is immense. Like whether it's like ships, flights, you name it. Right. There is traffic that comes to the country, right? So we started masking and we literally bought our masks from China. Right? We started masking, wearing PPE, um, sanitizing. We got some of our partners whom we had already developed relationships with because by the time uh, COVID hit for us, we had had like eight, nine months of operations. We had made partnerships with companies like uh, Ampne. We had made partnerships with like um, companies like, um, what you call them? What's their name? These guys that do um, JoJo tanks and stuff like that. They were, also, they were producing hand sanitizer. And like at the time, when they were like, oh, we've got these hand sanitizers. We're like, guys, who buys hand sanitizer? Like, we're not bougie like that, right? Mm-hmm. And this was like maybe two, three, four months before that. And then we called them and said, guys, do you still have your stock for your hand sanitizers? They said, yes. And then so we took all of their stock, right? We put it up on the site. The people that understood what we were doing were very much the people our customers were in the diaspora because they were feeling the effects of COVID before we started doing it. And physically on the ground, all of our customers were looking at us like, not even our customers, all of the people that we see us operating would look at us and think, you guys are crazy, you guys are so dramatic. Why are you actually doing this? And for the customers whose children were in the diaspora or whose parents were in the diaspora and they were fussing about how COVID is really bad and people are dying and therefore people need to literally like take care of themselves that was those were the customers that trusted us the most and when the first lockdown came in the government literally sent us our authorization to be a um, a service provider that was clear because we were already doing everything as far as social distancing keeping the bubble wearing ppe and making sure that we deliver without risking anybody else so we were literally given that initial clearance to be the ones that were delivering and being the only people in an immediate shutdown that didn't have no preparation, we were like ordered out, right? The mm-hmm. only time you could actually service someone, if someone ordered today, they would like, 
expecting their order in 14 days, which was unrealistic. But then, you know, we then worked around it. But at that time, we literally had a good experience with um, having high orders because it tested our system, right? We had built our own e-commerce platform from the ground up. So when we tested our system, we started understanding, okay, how well or how good is our system? How can it handle pressure from all directions? And those hits made us become the kind of entrepreneurs that break things quickly and fix them as fast as they got broken, you know? So that was our experience with COVID. Subsequently, when human beings got over the pandemic, but the pandemic wasn't over, my husband contracted the COVID Delta virus. And he was in ICU for like um, a month. Mm, and really? literally like almost died. Yeah, he almost died. Like four organs failed and all of that. And mm. thankfully he he's alive. But at that time, we quickly learned what being a personal brand and being the brand that is aligned to your business means to your business. We had suppliers calling us and feeling unsafe about us continuing business because the guy who they trusted most with their product was in hospital and likely to die, right? We had um, off-takers that were not sure anymore about would the product come as if this certain individual was the one actually driving the truck to deliver, you know, those kind of things. But there was that human element of fear that the one point person of the brand of the business was in a, in a precarious position with their health, and that meant that our business was going to take a hit, to which it did, right? We took a very bad hit after a good streak. And I guess those are the joys and the blows of having experienced COVID. And I guess that that's what entrepreneurship is about, right? There's always highs, there's always yeah. lows. Uh, and lows can be, be really, really low. But um, yeah. yeah, so I think maybe my next question is like, what are some of the typical legal concerns do you guys have as business owners? Um, I know entrepreneurs uh, don't like... Lawyers, I know that very well. But what do you think are some of the the legal concerns that you have experienced or that you might have as a business owner? Well, basically, mainly two things, right? Uh, it's the labor. That's the biggest variable with labor laws in Zimbabwe, for instance. They're different. They're different labor laws in South Africa now that we're expanding there. But the labor laws in Africa. Uh, soon after independence were created to punish the colonialists that still existed within the system and forced them to take up certain mantles and responsibilities. And we now feel the effects of being entrepreneurs within a system that has to govern how you employ people. And I mean, I'm all for fair employment, but then the legal structures of our country and our laws are very much favoring the employee without also protecting the person that is creating these jobs. You know, so that would be one of my biggest, biggest legal concerns as far as the business goes. The second one, because of the industry that I'm in, is agricultural compliance and as far as production distribution goes, right? Um, you can think about the fact that um, somebody can receive a bad phone product and send it back, right? But a bad veg can also upset a customer to a point where they might not come back. Bad meat can actually kill your customer. So those kind of compliances in as far as working with smallholder farmers, you have to think about that and have to stress why is it important that you now tap into the compliance 
legality of the, those channels because you don't want to be in a position where you kill your customer. You kill your customer, you kill your bank before you even think about, okay, you are, and this is me maybe from a selfish perspective, but you're killing a line. Like, do you want to be a business person that has a business that kills people? Definitely not. So those are some of the, 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 the concerns that I have. And also taxation, something that I learned like from the US that like the conversation of tax and teaching about taxation starts very early in school. We don't have that in Africa. I don't know of a single country that teaches taxation to its citizens, right? I don't even think that most governments actually understand their own tax system. The only people that seem to understand is qualified accountants and qualified, uh, you know, tax people. And yet, taxation is supposed to be maybe part of the package that creates an ecosystem that allows businesses to thrive. And most of it, all we see is punitive measures instead of um, a quid pro pro, would I say that? Or an exchange of thought, where because I also have an obligation to the state or the land in which I make my wealth or I build my business, the state also has an obligation to create or keep making the environment in which my business thrives. The more I grow, the more taxes I pay. The more taxes I pay, the more I expect, you know, that kind of flip side. Those are the things that we don't have in Africa in general. So those would be my top three uh, legal concerns that I would have as a business owner, that I actually have as a business owner. That's interesting because I think it then brings me uh, to, I think Nigeria, Nigeria now has a startup act, right? Uh, which I feel like- Yes, it's, it's, also Zambia. And Zambia, right? It's also a step ahead mm -hmm. in trying to, you know, understand the startup ecosystem because definitely a startup and a, a full grown company and whatever it is are two different entities. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the tax part and the, the, the obligations, I really feel like it's an area that needs to be addressed. And maybe it also then starts with the whole ecosystem of, or the whole, I don't know if it's the, the, the country as a whole, trying to understand how startups can actually help the economy. Because I think if we understand from that point, it's easier for us to then develop, you know, like, um, what you call it, a startup act that then governs all this. Because um, as a woman, all right, let's start from there. Uh, do you feel the ecosystem supports women entrepreneurs, um, especially when it comes to funding? And have you guys received any funding as yet? And what is the process like? So I'm, I'm going to give you the most unpopular answer. I think that the ecosystem in general in Africa does support women. We have been put for the last 50 years, or in, let, me, let me not even say 50 years, for the last 10 years in which entrepreneurship startup uh, ecosystem goes in Africa. With, we started all at the same time with men, but then we have been put front and center with extra credit for being a woman and being allowed to participate in the space, just so that we can encourage you know, that equality. Personally, my experience, because I'm Zimbabwean, subsequently becomes different because of the climate, the economy, and the political landscape that I come from, mm -hmm. right? Have I received funding? Yes, I've applied for grant funding before, but I haven't been able to secure any um, proper investment funding simply because all of the investors that we've spoken to were like, you know what, country risk is just too high. We still don't have any guarantees that if we put our money in there, it's not going to sink. One, two, inflation, two, change of uh, laws on a whim, three, 
uh, they don't have any method that can guarantee that their money was, would come out. And at this time, when I'm talking about this, it's at the time when um, even Zida wasn't yet like formed or developing. Mm-hmm. We have since had, had to wait for institutions like that to actually develop. And even when they have developed, right, they develop for the bigger industries. So they, nice. they, they develop for the mining industry. They develop for the tourism industry. They didn't develop themselves for the startups, the small guys. They, they didn't think about that. So even when you walk into Zida, you don't have that opportunity to say, let's talk about the fact that I'm small. There are certain things or certain requirements of their systems that don't actually accommodate the small guy. So it doesn't matter even if I go and speak to an investor and say, oh no, but then there's this law because I still don't have the protection of the one institution that is mandated by law to protect any investor coming into the country and therefore enable me as a entrepreneur, enable many entrepreneurs in Zimbabwe to be in that space. And maybe as a, I don't know, some entrepreneurs in Zimbabwe who dislike me for it, but I don't know if anybody in the country that has actually raised investor funding and got it into Zimbabwe. All of us have to actually get out of the country, go and headquarter somewhere else, domicile somewhere else, and then you receive that funding and bring it into the country using other instruments and other methods. But nobody straight up, I'm just legally registered entity in Zimbabwe and I'm receiving funding. That's not there. So the answer to that is that the ecosystem does support women vastly so, even like um, your, 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 your accelerator program, your grant financing, your investor-focused uh, groups, they're angel investors that are seriously focused on just financing women businesses and nothing else, right? And those people have got like capital capacities of over $100 million. So ideally, the ecosystem is working for women, but for me personally, I understand that it's not a me seeing and me being a woman, it's a me seeing in the environment that I've been operating in. And as soon as we started expanding our operations into South Africa, the conversations with the investors have become different, right? And the conversations like, okay, let's give it another six months, give you traction. Um, this is the direction we can get grant funding for you guys to sustain your operations whilst you're gaining traction. We're very happy to come and have that conversation. South Africa is the Nigeria of standard region, right? Kenya is the Nigeria of East Africa. Egypt is the Nigeria of North Africa, and then it becomes Nigeria, the capital of those places. And if we look at entrepreneurs within those countries, you can tell by the diversity of the capital that they have access to. You can tell by the conversations in which they have pushed for the inclusivity of women, but not only inclusivity of women, but inclusivity of startups within the space of how do we develop industry of Africa as a whole um, while we think about um, the, 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 the contribution of startups? And it's not something that we can still question and say, really, how do startups actually contribute to industry? Startups, by definition, are companies that are built on the basis of solving a problem, right? Africa is one thing, is problems galore. <laughs> we have that. Right. You know, there's something to solve somewhere, right? So, like, there will never be a time where like startups can thrive in Africa. The question becomes, does Africa have customers that can suffice solving its problems and still making the startups meet the standards of American, European, Chinese, or Asian startups? That's where the problem is, right? So the unicorn status. Yes, yes. 
it, it makes sense for America. America is literally the whole of Africa. We are made to compete against each other in Africa, right? It's 54 states, 54 countries. Look at it that way. I mean, we're relatively bigger than America by volume, territorial ground, and even endowment of, 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 of resources, right? But the reason why your, your Airbnb, your Ubers become um, unicorns, and then they make that standard of saying unicorn means that you are like billion-dollar valuation, this, 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 that. We don't even have billion-dollar GDP in small countries like Lesotho or Swaziland. So, like, when we think about those things, we now need to actually be in a space where we make the ecosystem address the startup founding in Africa for startup founding in Africa and never address it on a world scale because those startup founders, the startups in Africa have got a different definition. Yes, their DNA is the same. Companies built on solving problems, but the economies in which the startups actually build in and create value is more on a very social level value creation than followed by maybe a political change or a community mindset change value. And then you can talk about the financial value. That is completely different from the American and Asian type or European type of startup. That, that is my position on the ecosystem in itself. And I feel like, you know, like you said, Africa has a lot of problems, right? And when it comes to technology, I believe that technology is an enabler, right? It enables you to just provide a service or do your job efficiently. So because Africa has yeah. a lot of problems that many entrepreneurs are coming up with solutions, we, I don't know, I don't know what's happening somewhere along the lines. It's not really gelling and I don't know is it maybe because of the environment or is it maybe because of the economy of a particular country and is it also maybe because the the, um, the thriving countries are not also embracing the smaller ones enough to educate or is it the lack of education or the lack of information around it what really then happens that's my biggest challenge which I feel like um, I think it's a cocktail of all of that right <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it's, it's a cocktail of all of that. You, you have to think about um, what, what, what makes the smaller countries not manage to compete at the same level. You, your answers immediately come up. Territory, the ability of earning for your possible customers. So you're not going to get the same traction that um, Uber gets, even if you were, what you call it, uh, windy, right? If Uber mm -hmm. came into Zimbabwe right now, they'll squash out windy and via one time. Like, one time. Without even trying. And, and, and they don't even need to actually set up a head office in Zimbabwe at home. Mm -hmm. Right? So when, when we think about that, it's like, okay, the other element is, okay, so how do we protect our own startup so that a windy or a, a via can thrive without the pressure of Uber? If Zimbabwe was actually a sound economy like, say, South Africa, Uber would have jumped in a long time ago, but only because generally as an economy, we're not a sound economy, it hasn't considered coming in, right? So how do you make those startups that are actually doing similar services or providing a similar solution thrive before the big muscle companies that have raised so much capital can come and squeeze them out? Mm -hmm. Because that's what we're seeing in South Africa. 
you can't tell me that the whole of South Africa, before Uber decided to come into Africa, there was no one who was thinking about shared rights. There was no one who actually created that platform and that solution. They were there. They just got muscled out because they couldn't raise funds equivalently to an American startup that has happened for over 54 states and you have a country that has only what 96 million people and even those 96 million people you think of just a small metropolitan like the numbers don't make sense obviously you're not going to get equal financing and investment so those are the kind of thoughts that i think like the ecosystem needs to like reevaluate we may not see it in our lifetime but it's definitely again like i said africa is problems galore maybe our kids will actually have an opportunity to you know get to solve these problems with an enabling system or an enabling ecosystem. So on that point, we're actually both mothers, right? Um, and from my understanding, mm -hmm. we work with your husband, like you mentioned at the beginning. Um, how are you able to then separate the two? Like, okay, being a wife and then also being a business partner. How is that going for you? I know for me, I struggle. I do work with my husband in some other areas, but mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> How is that going for you? And also just juggling life, being a mom, because I'm constantly in a mental mental health state. Um, yeah. Just trying to be it all. I don't know. How is it for you? Um, it, it's exactly what you described, right? Like, it's crazy. I go to therapy. <laughs> it's, right? really, it's like my most favorite time of the week, right? But not only that, like... Um, I've had a good support system from like extended family. So my in-laws are like super, super stars, my parents as well. And we've never sat down and said, where do we draw the line between work and our personal life? To us, it's all the same thing. Because if work doesn't function, it means that our personal life is also suffering, right? So we've never had to like thread it out. Sometimes it's you know, we've done things like we schedule, our life is pretty much scheduled with my husband. We schedule, we schedule date night. We schedule even sex because shit can get intense. You know what I mean? Like, so, so we do that. We do that because even maybe my turn on today is, yo, the way you pulled off that deal today was like very lit, you know, and that's it. We go with it. So mm. we don't necessarily like try and differentiate because then we spend more energy on trying to untangle things that make up life right our work our family our children is all in one right and how i balance with the kids me i don't want to lie to you guys uh, getting help is important right uh yeah it's important at, at any given time i have a, a a nanny or a maid that can assist with the mundane things cleaning washing cooking those kind of things when they're taken care of, I'm focused on how do I increase my value per hour to make sure that I can buy more time from other people. And doing that has been my saving grace. But the fundamental thing is I go for therapy because my kids also drive me crazy. I've got two kids at the four and two years old. They scream as their way of breathing. So they never like, yeah, I only get like this, this type when I go for like therapy. That's it. I'm not ashamed to even say it. Like, I, I if you're an entrepreneur in Africa, if you're an entrepreneur in Africa, please, in your budget, put therapy for co-founder as a line item no. and pay. <laughs> and pay for it. It's important. It's important. It's important. I agree with you. Yes. So, 
Ah, thank you so much uh, for making time. So we've come to the end of yet another exciting and insightful episode. Um, oh, do you have anything else to say? Well, maybe I could ask you, like, how is the, you know, how we are both startup founders, but then we're in different, like, verticals. So okay. what has been your challenge when it comes to engaging other startup founders in collaboration or in, um, you know, providing your service to other startups? I think that when it comes to, I've realized that when it comes to legal issues, people who want mm -hmm. to engage um, lawyers when they are when in they trouble, right? So it's, it's not something mm -hmm. that people just want to have at the back of their hands, you know, just like, uh, you know, let me just have a contact with this person. Let me just, you know, pay for this. Let me just subscribe to this so that I'm on top of my game. People just want to then engage yes. when they are in trouble. So when someone then decides to, you know, infringe on your trademark, that's when you're like, ah, okay, I was supposed to have protected my trademark. You get what I mean? So yeah, that's those are some of the challenges that I also face when I'm interacting with a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, mm -hmm. When it comes to getting funding or getting, I don't know, a, a, an ear or I don't know, uh, a community. I feel like there isn't much of a community or maybe I don't know. I don't interact with a lot of people. I don't know what happens, but mm -hmm. I feel like we're still yet... Um, to build like a strong ecosystem or a strong community, whether it's women or whether just everyone, just a startup community where we get to support each other, you know, like sometimes you just need to vent. So I'm not sure if those- Well, so I, I guess I guess I could I, I could drag you to some, I'll shamelessly plug a friend of mine. Um, okay. There's a startup community that's called Akai.ZW, uh, you know, okay. it's founded by Chido, Zino Chikiwe. I don't know if you follow her on Twitter, but then like she's been trying to also create that kind of um, ecosystem. Your your only challenge, just like mine, is that when you're off the the the, the work time, your money wife duty, you know. But like they, they are those kind of events, and I'll definitely drag you to one of them when I'm in the country. All right. Okay. Perfect. I'd love that. I'd yeah. Love that. Definitely. It's a day. All right, okay, cool. No, so thank you so much. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today. And yeah, that's about it for today. Thank you to my wonderful guest and uh, my listeners. This is your sister in law signing out. Catch you on the next episode. Yours, Rotendo. Bye.